HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken of tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is, of course, dairy. It's a particularly tough time to be a dairy farmer right now, um, as we know, which is why I'm thrilled to be learning more about one company that, operating as a co-op, is supporting their farmers while creating a healthier, more sustainable food system. And that company is Organic Valley, whose half and half I happen to have in my fridge right now. Joining me in the studio to further discuss is Leslie Krumpel, Head of Mission at Organic Valley. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay, before we get started, what what is the, what is a Head of Mission? Great question. I don't <laughs> think there's many people who have the title Mission Executive. So at Organic Valley, we're a farmer-owned, mission-driven business. It's important for us that we build into our business structure teams and roles that are taking care of the mission of the co-op and so that's what I get to do in my job uh-huh. and it involves figuring out what are the most important issues that we should be talking about taking a stand on what partners do we want to be working with to inv- advance movements in our industry 
Mm-hmm. So I get to work on a lot of fun things. Oh, great. And we're going to talk about some of those some of those initiatives um, throughout this whole episode. But before we, um, you know, also before we kind of jump into it, like, can you tell us um, just a little bit about the company, right? Like mm-hmm. when it was founded, what is what is a co-op in this sense? If you could really break this down, that would be helpful. Great question. So our company was founded 30 years ago by seven farmers in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. We're now a billion-dollar food company. We are still headquartered in Lafarge, Wisconsin, and we are still owned by farmers, but now we have 2,000 farm families that own our business Okay. uh, in 34 states across the U.S. Okay. So how does that work? Uh, So a co-op is a business structure where you don't have one or a few owners of the company or it's not a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. The 2,000 farm families that produce milk and eggs for Organic Valley are the owners of the business. So they vote for our board of directors. Mm -hmm. So they're represented in all of the key decision-making and governance of the co-op. And how how does one become a part of the co-op? So for our co-op... we have we have farmers join who are producing something that we already make or want to make. Mm-hmm. So in our case, a lot of the times that means dairy farmers, and that's where our roots lie and where most of our farmers are today. And so we'll have farmers who either have been organic farmers or want to become organic farmers start working with us to, we call it, get added to the truck because... Mm-hmm milk trucks run on routes um, in their area. And so to join our co-op, we have to have farmers who are interested in upholding our standards, wanting to be a part of our business. Um, and so uh, that's how that's how it works. And I imagine it's, okay, so you said like the trucks, yeah. run, you know, run the route. So what is yeah. that? What does that actually look like? I'm a farmer in the co-op. What, you know, so I produce X number of X gallons of um, milk every week. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? How do you bring the products to the market, basically? Yeah. So no pun intended, we've really grown our business organically. And then a lot of times, yeah. <laughs> Do you say that all the time? I say like, that yeah. a lot, especially when I was working in digital marketing <laughs> more closely, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of our routes were literally started by someone who wanted to transition to organic, a farmer, mm-hmm. wanted to be on Organic Valley's truck and convinced their neighbors or friends to join with them. So sometimes it's a multi-year process. Right, to switch over to or become organic. Yeah. We yeah. have some areas in the U.S., Midwest, Ohio, some parts of the Northeast, where we have a lot of routes, and so it's easier to add people. But in some cases, it's literally been that kind of on-the-ground farmers coming together to figure out how they, in one area, can work to build a milk route and join the co-op. And so do you, does Organic Valley have, I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I keep on, you know, wanting to like uh, ask questions about the model itself because yep. I'm not as familiar with like what this, what a co-op kind of looks like in this sense. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you're a bunch of farmers in an area and you, the idea is like you all pool the products together. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Pool the products together. And that's on the, the supply side, but then even just on the governance side of the co-op, 
it's really important for us to make sure that we're representing the regional diversity Mm -hmm. of the farms in our co-op. And so uh, for each of our pools, like our dairy pool or egg pools, we have what's called an executive committee. Mm -hmm. And they are representatives for their region. Um, So for our, our dairy executive committee has 90 of our farmers who come together regularly and make decisions about um, important issues in the co-op. How are the products kind of like, how is the, I mean, just traceability difficult if you're kind of proving, if you're pooling all of your products together? Yeah. And then what region do you sort of pool? Like, you know, is it like, this is just milk from Wisconsin? This is milk from, I don't know, another state or wherever you guys operate? Are you just, you're, you're in your, not just in Wisconsin, you're throughout the region we're throughout the u.s and so a lot of times if you're here in new york and you go into whole foods or a store that sells organic valley milk Mm -hmm. a lot of times the milk that you're getting in the carton is from our new york farmers so we always try to keep our milk as close to the regions it was produced in as possible Mm -hmm. so we have California milk and midwestern and southeastern do you have like parameters like within 250 miles we we haven't done that, and part of the reason is that it's we always have to work through managing where are there farmers who need a market for their milk, mm-hmm. and how close can we keep the milk to one region. And so right. a lot of times in our history, and this is where we, one of the ways that we've been very different than other food companies, our growth is determined not by a new product category that we want to go into because we think that there's some market demand. Mm-hmm. It's come from the fact that there are farmers who need a market for their product. Okay. And so a lot of times we've had farmers come to us because they've lost their contract with their other milk supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've at times added large groups of farms in one region Mm-hmm. because those farms were in jeopardy of going out of business if we weren't to do that. And so our goal always is to long-term balance it so that we can keep the milk in the region. But sometimes in those cases, if we're suddenly taking on more farmers in Vermont or more farmers in California, mm-hmm. we would have to figure out, you know, where could we sell that milk How do we in make the short it? term. Yeah. Yep. So you're saying that the half and half I have in my fridge right now is probably from the New York area because I should have said I only, I mean, that is like my half and half of choice. Our <laughs> half and half is great. Yeah. But like forever, not just, you know, I'm, I'm for a very long time. That is, uh, it's my favorite. So <laughs> it's really good. It's a lot of, it's one of those passion products that people love yeah and they get really upset if their store doesn't have it it. yeah I know I really I'm like a very I feel very strongly about my need to have half and half and like it's just not the same if I try and mix it myself I'm just telling you I don't have that down and so yeah you guys have it down (laughs) and I just like I cannot coffee which I love is just not the same without it so um I'm a I'm a fan great to hear great to yes um okay so so what are some of those examples of products that you have maybe recently added that have been kind of like in respond to what the farmers needs? Yeah. So one of the product lines that's my favorite to talk about is our grass milk products. Mm -hmm. So we started doing 100% certified grass-fed milk six years ago, and we've been adding on making cheese and yogurt and adding, and we have half and half now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had our grass milk half and half. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And 
I think what's really great about our grass milk product lines is that it's meeting a need for farmers mm-hmm. and a need for eaters. So people are looking for more grass-fed products. We know that they're healthier, better balance of omega-3 and 6s, higher CLA. A lot of people like the taste. I like the taste. What is CLA? Grass-fed. Conjugated linoleic acid. Oh, of so, course. I know. it's <laughs> Obviously. It's a great question. A lot of people, I think, are unfamiliar with it. But um, basically, you want to have a better balance of omega-3s and 6s and higher CLA in your diet to mm-hmm. help reduce inflammation. Okay. With and inflammation, of course, is the cause of a lot of health problems. Right. Okay. So it's healthier. Yep. By and large. Yep. And so how have you really worked to kind of promote this to this category? Just by providing a, like, distribution channel for these farmers or? So the beautiful thing is we haven't really had to promote it. I think there's been enough people who are looking for 100% grass-fed that mm-hmm. really are, we've been trying to keep pace with demand um and on the farm side it's great for farmers and great for long-term sustainability because moving towards 100% pasture-based system means that they can uh, be self-sufficient on their farm and not have to bring in outside grain so there's a lot of environmental financial sustainability for the farmer and then health benefits for the consumer so it's really a, a beautiful system. And do you see that this this becoming like more and more like a bigger part of your portfolio or a bigger part of like the way your farmers are are producing? I think so, yeah. So um it's dairy products in general have been on the decline for several years. Yeah, yeah. Grass milk is growing. So it's yeah. a it's an example of a category in dairy that is actually seeing growth. Right. So our um our grass milk, our Whole Foods grass milk in Whole Foods outsells of the quote-unquote regular organic valley milk. Yeah. And we're actually, one of the issues, though, that is present in the industry is that there hasn't been consistency in labeling for what does 100% grass-fed mean. Okay. And so if you go into a store, and I've done this, yeah. walk around and start looking and seeing how are dairy products, how are meat products... Um, labeled as being grass-fed or not. There's a lot of consumer confusion right now. Mm -hmm. And so we've partnered with Maple Hill, who is actually, you know, you could consider one of our competitors in this space. Yeah. Like the creamery? Like the ice cream? Okay. Um, To... uh, (laughs) That's how I know. Like the ice cream, right? I don't know the... Nope, nope, Ample Hill. I'm just just kidding. Sorry, that's like a local ice cream shop. (laughs) Clearly ice cream is on my brain. (laughs) Maple Hill does grass-fed dairy, (laughs) too. And we're both committed to wanting to have a verifiable system to really prove that, yes, this milk, these dairy products are 100% A grass-fed standard. Yeah. Like a federally recognized grass-fed standard. So it's not going to be like associated with the federal government or the USDA. It's going to be a separate third-party certification. Exactly. Um, will they be, so will there be any kind of desire to push for like a more, um, like a federal regulation or a federal certification, or is it just going to be something like fair, like a fair trade label, like something that's only third-party verified? See, you're getting into a really great <laughs> complicated topic. We like complicated Uh, on the show. Yeah. Well, and 
I, so this is an issue that we've been facing as a company and as one of the organizations that help pioneer the organic standard. Mm-hmm. We've had a vision for what we want USDA organic to mean and represent, and that means continual improvement and continuing to improve standards. Mm-hmm. And so we want to do our best to work with the NOP and the USDA to keep advancing those standards, but we also recognize that if we can't make things happen, um, there's value in figuring out alternatives. So this Organic Plus Trust that is going to have the 100% certified organic grass-fed label Mm -hmm. is an example of how do we keep moving standards and industry forward. The Organic Plus Trust. Yep. That's a bit of a tongue twister. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of this uh, movement in the industry towards what we call um, organic bolt-on or add-on labels. Okay. So for this, uh, organic certification is the baseline. Right. You can't get this standard if you're not certified organic. Mm -hmm. But it's the how Which is federally regulated, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, But how can we be advancing standards and the movement and this is where regenerative organic certification and um, some of these other movements and ideas are are coming into play. Do you want to say a little bit more about the regenerative certification? Yeah so there's a few groups that have been exploring regenerative organic certification Mm -hmm. and I think it's driven by um, us in the industry wanting to make sure that we have components of animal welfare and social justice Mm -hmm. in the products that we're making and how we're operating as a business. So, um, again, it's, you know, we want, we do believe that certified organic is the gold standard and we've been working for a long time to continue to advance animal welfare standards in the organic rule. Um, and, and we are also thinking about, what can we continue to do as a business right. to keep pushing standards forward? I imagine that's kind of tricky right now with the current administration. It is. Um, how are you guys sort of navigating those waters? It's been tough. So I think it was a pretty heartbreaking moment for us a y- about a year ago when a rule that we had been working on for over 15 years, mm-hmm. um, the OLPP, which was a rule to advance animal welfare standards, particularly for poultry, right? Poultry. Yeah. Yep. Um, And you guys have poultry products. We do. We have eggs. And then, yes. So, so. Because I only think dairy, I obviously only think of the half and half in my fridge, but the. (laughs) We have really good eggs, too. Okay. Sorry. So you've been working on this, like, uh, animal welfare standard. We've been working on this, yes, having this rule adopted by the National Organic Program Mm -hmm. so that all egg producer organic egg producers need to abide by the same higher standard mm-hmm. um, so that's something we're we're currently working through the process uh, to have this standard adopted but, but it got pushed back yeah or without really any explanation so it was rejected what happened in 2017 so they basically um, There was a process, and this this is the way that organic standards get adopted. There was a process where comments could be submitted. Mm -hmm. 
in favor or against the adoption of the rule. There were over 70,000 comments in favor, and I think less than five against. Really? Yep, and the less than five against were by agriculture industry groups that really don't have a stake in organic. Yeah. Wow. Five. It always like it always makes me very happy to hear that there are like 70,000 comments because I am the um, sort of skeptic in me thinks like we have very little community engagement or, you know, I mean, just social engagement in general. And I'm like, wow, 70,000. They're not all in the industry. Right. So, So people are writing in, I hope. This was the happy part of the story. This is the part that was really encouraging for me is um, that basically there was a a new comment period open up that allowed us to galvanize our community and fans and say like, hey, let's tell the USDA that this is not what we want to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible. We had tens of thousands of people sign on. And so there's clear indication that this is something people care about. We hear every day, and I would say that that's one of the questions, comments that we hear from people most often is about our animal welfare standards and practices. Mm -hmm. So we're still doing things on our own as a company. Um, So one of the cool things about Organic Valley, I think we're the only food company in the U.S., we're the only ones I know of, who has a farmer committee and a process uh, with our farmer members to inform our animal welfare standards, which to me is very common sense like let's involve the people who are actually doing the work doing the work working with animals the experts in animal husbandry yeah along with our we have vets and an animal care specialist on staff um talking about where do we think standards should be improving so we did adopt a new set of standards and this is part of being a co-op It went through our egg executive committee and our board of directors, and it went through that process of getting everybody's input. And we adopted a new set of standards that took place in January. And what do those standards look like? So it's pretty pretty complicated. The the kind of like the short description of it would be encouraging more natural behaviors for chickens. Okay. Some more space, scratching areas. Um, It's really fun to talk to some of our egg farmers about this because they know way more about chickens and chicken behavior than even I who has had a backyard flock knows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And was it, were those mostly focused on poultry or does that include um, cows also? So the standards that took effect this year were for poultry. Mm -hmm. We had done the same with our dairy pool cows a year prior. And in terms of like space and, or is it like what, you know, what were some of those? Was it kind of like how often you milk or how much land they have to roam or what? Yeah. It's a handful of different things. Um, One of the standards that was included in this last round and it applies to the dairy pool. And so, um, but was also talking about just treatment of animals on farm in general. Mm-hmm. So even outside of cows, other animals on farm and, and, and welfare policies. Um, and, um, yeah, we have just certain kinds of medical treatments that we, um, that might be allowed in organic that we've decided as a co-op not to allow or to suggest alternative treatments for, so things like that. Um, 
in terms of your products, I just want to I, sh- I want to kind of go back and ask a couple of questions about the product specifically. Um, do you ever sell to? I mean, your, your your products go direct to consumer, right? Is that the the idea, or do you ever sell to other like food companies to use your products in creating their products? We. As, in, as ingredients both. is the yes. other way to say that, by the way. We do, yeah. So our mission as a co-op is to create a stable pay price for our farmers so that they know with a reasonable amount of time you know, ahead so that they can plan for their farm how much money that they're going to be making mm-hmm. for the products that they're producing. Because the really crazy thing was back when Organic Valley was started in the 80s, and this is the way it works in conventional dairy now, farmers will ship their milk, the milk truck will leave the farm, and they won't know until weeks later how much they're going to get paid for it. Wow. Which is crazy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, who, how, like, who can operate their business that way? Well, I don't think it's working. <laughs> no, it's not working. <laughs> and so, I mean, literally, that was the problem that Organic Valley wanted to solve, okay. in addition to wanting to bring organic you know, food to market Mm -hmm. in a way that was not available before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as part of that model, we buy all of the milk. We, we, like, we contract to buy all of the milk or all of the eggs or in our meat pool from our farmers versus other food companies that might contract to just buy part of it or butterfat or a certain part of the product. Um, So... In that model, mm-hmm. we need to be able to s- sell all of the products that our farmers are producing. So private label and ingredients have been a really important part of that. Mm-hmm. We actually have a fun little um, slide that's a part of a lot of our talks about who we are as a co-op. And it's a picture of an old milk stool, mm-hmm. which has three legs. Mm-hmm. And we call it the three-legged stool model of selling branded products through Organic Valley, selling ingredients, um, and selling private label. So, okay, so the way it works in terms of, like, the model for the farmers to ensure they get a, the right price, like, do you plan a year in advance with them and you say, like, okay, this is, you know, we want to take X amount of, we want X amount of eggs or we mm-hmm. want, like, this, like, quantity of milk yep. um, within this time frame and so they will, like, plan accordingly and no matter what, they t- that you take it. Yeah. So that is how we normally operate, is setting a pay price for the year. Mm -hmm. And usually there's um, one thing that a lot of people don't know about dairy is there's actually variation, particularly in organic, and it's called spring flush. And it's when the cows are out on pasture for the first time, Mm -hmm. and they're eating more and producing more milk Mm -hmm. in the spring summer months so we tend production goes up more milk is produced in that time of year and then it drops down in the winter so we do some seasonal variation in pricing to help kind of even out um how much milk is coming into the Mm co-op um are they milked at all during the winter yeah they are okay they are so it's a combination depending on the type of farm of stored stored forage Mm -hmm. so farmers will go out and they'll take a cutting of an alfalfa field, mm-hmm. and they'll store the hay bales in the barn. Cows can eat it um, in the winter time. Grain can be stored in the winter time, and yeah. so most of our farmers. There are some farmers who it's called drying off your cows in right. the winter. Yeah, 
Is that does that happen or not? Not, not much. Okay. It's a tough model. I have heard of a couple of farmers who do it on purpose. Yeah. So they can go on vacation in the winter. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Which I totally yes. get. I would not be able to milk cows twice a day every day. Yeah, it's hard not to hard not to get a break. But okay, so you so they you plan um, the pricing kind of accordingly. Yeah. What happens if they don't? Or if they aren't able to meet the demand that you kind of agreed upon in advance, then we go and find new farmers to add to the co-op. Okay, so they so they're they're paid for what they give you, yep. what they do produce at yep. that at that set rate, and then you it's incumbent on the co-op uh, to find new uh, members to be able to yep. kind of like cover that demand. And what I really love about working from for Organic Valley and the way that I wish more food company is operated is that this is a long-term relationship and we are all stewards of the business and Mm -hmm. are working together and so we have a staff they're called regional pool managers who are the on the ground talking to our farmers regularly about if they're transitioning to organic or coming onto the truck or having any issues with their production or needing to change their contract and we are very focused on wanting to sustain this relationship long term. And it's not a matter of us going into and exiting contracts just when we need supply from them. It's about building that, that long term relationship and stability. Um, to that end, do you what do you do to or you know, if anything, do you have certain initiatives to um, help farmers modernize or um, you know, like how do you kind of work to foster and continue those like personalized relationships, like yeah. meeting the farmers where they're at, especially, I mean, you guys have a lot, you have 2000 farmers, so yeah. I imagine that's hard. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, what are some ways that you, um, kind of support the individual members of your community? So we have an amazing team at Organic Valley called the Farm Resources Team, and they're completely dedicated to helping farmers thrive as organic farmers mm-hmm. and it's a team that doesn't exist at other dairy companies so we have on staff vets who can help farmers figure out how to treat cows organically so that they don't have to rely on their local vet who might not be familiar with how to treat a cow mm-hmm. without antibiotics and I, like that's a very real concern or issue for farmers because Um, As you might know, if you were to treat a cow with antibiotics, it could no longer be organic. And that would be, you know, a a huge loss to the farmer. And so we have a team who literally is on call. They'll take calls at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning from our farmers and help them work through medical issues that they're having. Um, We have this amazing on-staff ruminant nutritionist Mm -hmm. who does consultations on what our cows should be eating. And Mm -hmm. she works a lot with farmers as they're transitioning to 100% grass-fed. We have an agronomist on staff who does soil samples on our farms and helps coach through, like, what kind of fertilizers or improvements could be made to help benefit your soil. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of resources that we provide our farmers that, like I said, other dairy companies don't. And I think that comes directly from the fact that we are owned by farmers, and we exist to want to help them and advance the organic movement. 
What have you guys ever, you know, this idea that you, I mean, it's core to organic certification, but that you can't treat a animal who's sick with antibiotics. Yeah. What would you say to like maybe a critic who says that's not totally humane, yeah. especially for a company that really, really pushes for welfare standards to be improved? Yeah. That's a question that we get a lot. And I think this is why it's so important to recognize the individuality and different variances in farming. Um, and that, you know, this is one of the reasons that we have animal care specialists and vets on staff who can be coaching and helping farmers so they're not alone in that situation mm-hmm. uh, and figuring out what's the right decision. Sometimes the right decision would be to treat with antibiotics and to remove the cow from the organic dairy herd. Mm-hmm. Most of the time we can figure out and they, they, can, they can They can go back or they can't go back after that. They can't. No, they wouldn't go back yeah. after that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and that really speaks to the organic system in general is this idea of preventative care and how do we keep a healthy system going? How can we keep cows in healthy, low-stress environments um, and reduce the possibility that it happens? But certainly, if an animal were sick or suffering, mm-hmm. that would be a case where they would use antibiotics, just like you would with humans, right? right? Well, we we tend to overuse antibiotics. <laughs> yes, I agree <laughs> Which with that. Which is a very big problem for a lot of other reasons. Um, would you guys consider yourself to be a part of, quote-unquote, big organic? No. <laughs> well, and I think it's a really tough term. What does big organic mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, to me, I... When I hear that, I think about maybe food companies who are entering organic because it's a trend and there's consumer demand and maybe don't have an interest in actually growing the movement in the long term, growing the number of organic farmers and organic acreage in our country. Yeah, I think to, like when I think about it, I think like this I, this promotion of like a monoculture, mm-hmm. this idea that you can't keep up with. Um, you know, with basically the demand. And so there could be potential, like, you know, cutting of corners or sort of like a further, like, degradation of the the certification. Um, I mean, those are just some things that I kind of maybe would think about associated with the term. Yeah. But it, you know, I mean, it's, you have, you have to benefit from economies of scale. You guys are really, if you do a billion dollars worth of revenue every year, right? Well, and this is why I love the co-op model because we don't get big by making our farms bigger. Yeah. We get big by adding smaller farms into the network. Mm-hmm. And so to me, when you're talking about scaling something sustainably, yep. that's part of the solution. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, uh, that's really helpful. Thank yeah. you for, um, for sharing that. So in, in talking kind of about, you know, what you guys have going on right now. One of the things I came across is a new ad campaign that's been getting a lot of buzz um, lately. Can you tell us what this is about and what you're hoping to accomplish with it? Yeah. So I think you're talking about call us crazy is what we Mm -hmm. call the campaign. Yeah. Um, So it's uh, um, been a really fun campaign for us to work on. And really the goal of it is to talk about what are the values that we have as a co-op 
mm-hmm. and why do they matter? And um, you can go to our YouTube page to watch the videos if you're interested to seeing what they're about. But um, we've got a video about how we put Fitbits on our cows to measure how many steps they take in a day. We've got videos about um, how we're an uncorporation. We're not like other businesses that put the farmers at the bottom. Mm-hmm. We put farmers at the top, making running the business, making the most important decisions. So it's been um, an opportunity for us to talk about what are the strange and weird things that we do as an organic farmer owned and run Mm co-op and how that makes us different. And what sort of, I mean, I feel like you guys do a lot to um, promote this idea that there is greenwashing in the industry and what differentiates you from that. Yes. So... Early on when we were talking about this, um, our partners at our creative agency, Humanot, put together a reel of ads and videos by a bunch of food companies showing this beautiful, romantic farm imagery. One Mm -hmm. of them was McDonald's. Mm -hmm. It was someone walking up a wooden ladder, picking an apple in the sunshine. Yeah. And it was this moment for us of realizing that the way... We had been putting farmers in the center of our marketing on our package in stores. Yeah, your farmers are literally your your real farmers are on your cartons, right? Real farmers are on our cartons. Yeah. All of any ad that you see from Organic Valley, social post with a farmer in it, that's one of our farmers. We don't use models or actors. Um, And we've been doing that for years. And all of a sudden, we're seeing a bunch of food companies who don't have a real commitment to farmer well-being mm-hmm. um, or organic, sustainable farming practices, wanting to capitalize on the popularity of organic and the farm-to-table movement, mm-hmm. uh, which felt really tough for us to see because if they're all saying that they're doing or making it seem like they're doing the same things we're doing, how do we stand out? Right. So that's the challenge that we faced that we're trying to address now and really showing people that there is a difference. Right. And you should be thinking about and asking companies to back up what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. To really be transparent with their practices. And, um, I think that's, that's great. And I think anything that helps kind of educate consumers, even about the types of questions they should be asking or the things they should be thinking about, um, you know, is really, really helpful just to kind of get people, make them more aware, right? That they they could be falling like victim to this greenwashing that happens all the time. We are going to take a really quick commercial break so we can hear a word from our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stop calling me. I don't want to speak to you. My battery did my signal bad and I don't want to be with you. Just came out from dinner. I'm not trying to go out to eat with you. I heard you Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. 
Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise and affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Do you love this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. We have over 35,000 shows in our online library. My name is Jennifer Leutzi, and I'm the host of Tech Bites, where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. You can find Tech Bites wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today I'm speaking with Leslie Krumpel, head of mission at Organic Valley. But I want to talk a little bit about like some policy things that are going on and um, sustainability initiatives. So we have, there have been a number of like really scary reports that came out in the fall um, about kind of like the the state of climate change from IPCC to the National Climate Assessment to recently the World Resource um, Institute's Creating a Sustainable Food Future reports report um, that, you know, I mean, these, they they provide a very bleak picture and And it's really overwhelming. But one of the things um, in the WRI report that I loved, and I had the opportunity to interview the lead author, and he was incredible, but he was talking about like these areas of opportunity, yeah. especially for um, the, you know, like dairy, but like the livestock industry, because we know that ruminants use two thirds of global global agricultural land, and they contribute roughly half of ag's production related emissions. So, like this is a big challenge and a big, I guess, opportunity area yeah. um, to really move the needle. So, as a company that's like founded in relies on ruminants, what are you guys, what are you guys doing to sort of address? Um, these sustainability challenges that we're faced with to like make Mm -hmm. a difference? Great question. Um, So one of the first things that we're trying to do right now is understand what existing research or what can we do to help contribute to research around how different kinds of livestock systems have different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the report you mentioned in what's been coming out the research is based on a conventional agricultural system, which is very different than how our farmers farm. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the first things that we're doing is figuring out, okay, how can we accurately, reliably understand the difference between organic and conventional systems? Because mm-hmm. we think that there's opportunity there to understand yeah. Better. Isn't just methane methane, though, you know, that's produced from a cow? Well, the really interesting area that we're looking at is how much carbon is sequestered in a pasture-based system mm-hmm. and when you have healthy organic soil. And so that's why pasturing is so important to us as a co-op, is how do we build organic soil and perennial systems mm-hmm. versus annual crops which aren't going to sequester carbon as much. What about this idea that you you can give like a, it's basically like a compound in feed that basically helps mitigate emissions. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, we've actually, it was a while ago, 
and I wasn't directly involved in it, but we've done work with Stonyfield, who is one of our customers. They buy our milk for their yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, it was looking at that exactly. And like, are there different things that you can feed cows? And so that's, you know, I would say part of our DNA as a co-op, part of the reason that we have ruminant nutritionists, uh, research analysts on staff to be continuing to look at and participating in research that's happening and what can we do to c- keep improving and move the needle. Yeah, and providing funding for that too. And providing funding for that, which we have an organization at Organic Valley, which is another um, unique thing to us uh, called Farmers Advocating for Organics. Mm-hmm. And it's a fund that most of our farmers contribute to out of their milk check mm-hmm. every couple of weeks and they elect a farmer committee to give grants to organizations who are advancing research or education around organic so we've funded you know university level research and education programs a lot of times around sustainability and organic issues with that and so that's something that is part of the DNA of our business and what we want to keep doing um, well, okay. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Really. Um, what about, I'm like, okay, moving on. No, no, that's really, <laughs> it's really, really great. It's great to hear. Because, it's really beautiful. It's yeah. been, it's, it's, I can't even tell you how cool it is to like sit in the room and hear them talk about the important work that no one else is funding or very few right. people are they're funding doing or themselves. paying attention to and yeah. they're doing it because they know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I like hearing stories like that because, yeah. again, the skeptic in me, <laughs> like it's, it's not enough. Um, so we talked a little bit about, about labeling with the grass-fed label. Um, and this is not so much of a label, but like a standard of identity question. But right now there's this basically like the the term milk, the definition is kind of in play. Yeah. Um, especially given the rise of plant-based milk products that are coming onto the market that are kind of um, taking up some of the, the market share yeah. for tradition, you know, between traditional dairy. So, um, you know, like the dairy industry has been very kind of adamant about not letting like almond milk be mm-hmm. defined as milk. And they kind of, there was a setback there and um, with like a recent court decision that said, no, people are not going to think that, almond milk is from you know animals so basically i'm trying to ask what do you where do you guys sort of fall in the standard of identification um discussion and are you guys doing anything um to work towards like a different definition of milk we're not doing anything actively on that um i know that senator tammy baldwin Mm co-sponsored a bill um, and she's been a great supporter of organic and a, a great friend to us. And both her and our representative, Ron Kind, um, in our district, have been very supportive of Organic Valley um, and organic as a solution to some of the problems in the dairy industry today. Um, as far as I know, we have not taken a stance on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so you don't really perceive it as like that big of a threat basically right now. Yeah. I mean, just with my marketer hat on, I would say that people, it's hard to change people's habits or once something has hit a certain cultural point. Mm -hmm. So I think what's important now 
maybe is less about like the terms and more about us really looking at and understanding what are the nutritional and health impacts of these different kinds of foods that we have. Like mm-hmm. I know with almond milk in particular, it uses a lot of water and it mm-hmm. uses a lot of water on the West coast where there's a lot of water issues. Yep. And a lot of times a lot of sugar is added. Yeah. Yeah. To almond milk. And so, you know, and people have lots of different reasons that they choose different foods and products. So I think for us, it would be mostly important. And one of the things we do do is talk about, uh, some of the nutritional properties of dairy milk that you can't get in plant-based milks, like omega-3s and CLAs. Okay, one question I wanted to ask at the top of the show that I, that I forgot. Yeah. Quick definition of homogenized milk and non-homogenized. And um, you guys pasteurize, yeah. obviously, um, your products, but my half and half is ultra-pasteurized. Pasteurized, yes. Which some say kind of kill off some of the health, like some of the like the health benefits, because it's the heated too high, basically. So, yeah. first question is, can you define those two terms for yep. me? And then, second question is, can you walk me through the ultra pasteurization process and what that means? Yeah, and you're getting into a couple of really interesting questions about dairy that people will disagree on or yep. interpret. like the science or lack of science on differently. So first with homogenized. um, So when milk comes out of a cow, it has what you could consider like the skim milk component and Mm -hmm. then the fat component. And non-homogenized milk is when you just kind of let that be. Mm -hmm. And so when you go to the grocery store and it's easiest to see when it's like a glass bottle, but if there's like a line of cream or a chunk of cream on the top that's non-homogenized milk so basically um to get homogenized milk you have to for lack of a better term shake the milk really hard to get to get the fat and the like non-fat components to coexist together and so that's how milk in recent american history has mostly been sold as homogenized but if you go to Europe or you talk to your grandparents or you go to Whole Foods and you buy our non-homogenized cream on top grass milk, mm-hmm. you can experience the separation joy <laughs> of the, the the layer of cream on top that you either mix in yourself or I've even heard people say that they'll like take a spoon and eat the that's, cream. That's pretty aggressive. <laughs> that is. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's one of those areas where I think some some people think non-homogenized is healthier. Right. Uh, that you're compromising the chemical structure of the fat molecules by homogenizing. Um, but so it's just the same, basically. It's just like one is, it's just like shaken. Yeah. And some people prefer one or the other, so yeah. we make both. Um, pasteurization. Yep. Um, so there's, pasteurization is the process of killing off potentially harmful bacteria in milk, and it is basically what gives it a shelf life. So if you were to milk a cow and drink the milk right away, mm-hmm. no problem. Right. Once raw you milk. St- raw milk. Which we can't sell. Well, and I... Sh- commercially. Right. Yeah. And it's a... That's a that's a big that's issue a whole thing. in itself. But, like, as if you as you need milk to have a shelf life, mm-hmm. uh, the pasteurization method helps determine how long the milk is fresh for. Okay. So, regular pasteurized milk has a shorter shelf life than ultra-pasteurized milk. Mm-hmm. So, part of the reason that... Um, we have 
sold ultra-pasteurized milk historically, and it was actually pretty important for us in the early days of the co-op when there wasn't much organic uh, demand, was that it creates a larger shelf life. And so some retailers who would not carry our products before because they knew they couldn't move organic milk as quickly as they could move conventional milk Mm -hmm. needed us to be able to achieve that longer shelf life yeah and there's debates like and we've we've tested and we've looked it doesn't seem to impact any of like the macro nutrient content okay and this is where it gets in kind of the part of nutrition science that we still have more to learn about some people think that there's enzymes that are killed during pasteurization that are are beneficial to health okay so and that's tbd yeah, some people would say it's not TBD. Yeah, but some yeah. people are definitive on that, yeah. and some people aren't. Yeah. But my half and half lasts for like a little while longer in the fridge, <laughs> which is nice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I drink it pretty fast, though. Yeah. <laughs> but um, okay, so that's something that I've been actually, you know, that I've been wondering for a while. And as somebody, you know, I want all the the healthy benefits, but I guess yep. you know, you know, and that was um, it's helpful to hear the explanation in terms of like why. Yep. It, that was a decision. Do you ever think that might be reconsidered, given the fact that organic products, the demand for that is, you know, is greatly increased? Well, so I should say we sell both. So oh. if you if you want to choose, and we actually have, I mean, call us or email us or however you want to contact us we can help you figure out where to buy it it's even in our store locator Mm -hmm. you can figure out you know which stores we sell which in Um, a lot of times it's dependent on the retailer and their preference but we do sell the regular pasteurized milk as well lots of options lots of options all right well um, we have to now officially um, wrap up but before we do anything you want to you know anything coming down the pike that you are super excited about uh, with the company in this next year or the co-op in this next year yeah great question so um, one of the things that we've been working on for several years is our disaster relief program and we're just now getting to the point where we've worked with Dr. Bronner's to establish a new uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. called Grassroots Aid Partnership. Yeah. Where we're going to ask other food companies to join us in making donations and donate money so that we can go and set up kitchens and serve people hot meals of organic food wow. in times of disaster. So we've we've been doing it for years on our own and with some other partners. Um, most recently, we were at Campfire in California. We've been in North Carolina, Florida, Texas in the last year. Plenty of uh, disaster, natural disasters. <laughs> There's that, plenty. Yeah. And so that's... Back to our conversation on climate change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's part of um, us wanting to do what we can. To really support the communities. Yes. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Where can people learn more about that? Initiative? So Grassroots Aid Partnership has a website. Mm-hmm. So go and check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, more to come on that. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. This was a pleasure. Um, I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors for their generous support as well as to our engineer, Jeet Paul. Show music is by Tim Archer. And all of our episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast wherever they're found. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Lee Ute, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.